Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready. All right, let's go. Let's go to Texas. Oh. Texas. Uh, this week we are doing the movie HUD, 1963, black and white, Paul Newman movie. And this is what the Texas Observer wrote about it when it came out. In 1963? Mm-hmm. Texas, mm -mm. HUD <laughs> is a true Texas movie, huge in scope, but stark in its depiction of life in a dying ranch town, a tale of familial conflict and a metaphor for a country rapidly losing its soul. Oh, that was 1963. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, rather timely, I'd say. Aaron, the particulars. Right. Let me find them. Um... Oh, okay. Hood. 19 It came out May 29th, 1963. Directed and produced by Martin Ritt. He also did The Long Hot Summer, Sounder, Paris Blues, Norma Ray and Hombre, just to name a few. Ooh, Nerd okay. Alert. So he was an actor in theater and his first performance was as Crown in Porgy and Bess. Oh my god, this is unbelievable. <laughs> no, he's he's a white guy, but it's just anytime I come across Porgy and Bess, I just have to Unbelievable. I, I just I just have to put it in there. So he went to work for Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal Works Progress Administration, the WPA, as a playwright for the Federal Theater Project. And that was a government-funded theater support program because work was very hard to find during the Great Depression. And many of the WPA members, the Works Progress Administration members, they became influenced by radical left thinking and communism because they were in the midst of a great depression and they couldn't find any work. And so there are people going, Hey, psh, 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 hey now see all those rich guys that are, uh, not, uh, don't seem to be taking this whole depression thing so bad. Um, Hey. And so as a result, okay. So that, and so he, during world war two, he was in the air force and then, in the early 1950s, he became blacklisted. Um, he never was a Communist Party member, but he did consider himself a leftist, and he found common ground with some of the Marxist principles. I, I mean, I don't think that's a crazy wild thing, but nevertheless, in the early 50s, he became blacklisted, and so in order to support himself, he was teaching at the actor studio, and he had worked previously at the actor studio filling in for Ilya Kazan. Um, and so I thought that then that's how he was able to support himself. And so then when all of that kind of blew over and he was allowed back in, he was able to make more movies. It was produced also by Martin Ritt. I mentioned that and Irving Ravitech and the screenplay is by Irving Ravitch and his writing partner who was also his wife, Harriet Frank jr. And 
They also wrote The Sound and the Fury, The Long Hot Summer, Norma Ray, Hombre, and Stanley and Iris. Um, together, Martin Ritt, Ravitch, and Frank Jr. worked together on eight films. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harriet Frank Jr., she just recently passed away. She died on January 28th, 2020 of this year. Hmm. She got to get out before shit got real. She got she got out when the getting was good. Yeah, she did. People could still come to her funeral. Yeah. Um, it's based on the novel Horseman Passed By, which was uh, published in 1961 by... Larry McMurtry. This was his first novel. It's part of the Thalia colon, a Texas trilogy, and it's based on North, a North Texas town, I think shortly after World War II. And the rest of, so this is the first in that trilogy. And then in 1963, you have Leaving Cheyenne, which was made into the film Loving McKay. Hmm. Sorry. Handwriting was weird there. Um, the last, and then in 1966, The Last Picture Show, and that's the film, The Last Picture Show, which I'm sure we're going to do at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry McMurtry also wrote The Last Picture Show, also Terms of Endearment, and Lonesome Dove. And wow. like many other movies, he, I mean, and he won a Pulitzer Prize for Lonesome Dove. I think it was in the 80s, maybe 1985. I don't know. Yeah, he also won an Oscar for Best Adaptation. He adapted, along with Diana Asana, Brokeback Mountain. Oh. Yeah, so this guy, like, I, he's still alive. He is a titan of American literature. And, like, you know, tech, this whole, like, HUD that's very much in his wheelhouse. The music is by Elmer Bernstein, not to be confused with Bernard Herrmann, which I always do, <laughs> but Elmer Bernstein, I mean, these are these are the movies that we've already done that he's done the score. And he's done so many other movies that it's ridiculous. I So that's why I just counted it. Like, these are what we've done. Sweet Smell of Success, To Kill a Mockingbird, Slapshot, Trading Places, Cape Fear. And so many more. Basically, if Bernard Herrmann didn't do the score, Elmer Bernstein probably did the score. (laughs) And that's why I confused them. The director of photography is James Wong Ho. He did good. Oh, man. So he is a Chinese-born American cinematographer. He actually, spoiler alert, he is our person of color for this whole film. Yeah. Again, Texas. Well, no, 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 no. There was another one of the ranch hands. Uh, yes, yes, that's true. Hispanic. Was, yes. Um, he shot over a hundred and thirty films. He won an Oscar for the Rose Tattoo and HUD. He also did Sweet Smell of Success, Fun Lady, Funny Lady, and Hombre. Nerd Alert. He met his wife, the novelist, editor, and poet, Sonora Babb, before World War II. Now, Sonora is a white woman, and they got married in Paris in 1937. Um, But California had its anti-segregation law, and so it was not legally, their marriage was not legally recognized. 
And he had a morals clause with the studio. So since the law and he was like a traditional Chinese man. So since the country he was living in, he, he would not lawfully recognize his marriage. He and his wife lived in separate apartments in the same building until 1948 when Perez versus Sharp went to the California State Supreme Court and overturned the banning of interracial marriage. I thought that, that I was... I sometimes <laughs> separate apartments in the same building doesn't sound that bad. But I that's agree. exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, I know two people who are probably like, <laughs> you know, that kind of sounds amazing. Yeah. I love alone time. I know. It would be nice to have an adjoining door, but I mean, you know, you got the yeah. hall and yeah. Hey, so, walk down the stairs and you're there. Yeah. Separate bathrooms. Oh, please. We're down to one toilet this week weekend, so the, the oh, of well, all... try having one toilet and one shower for your whole lifetime. <laughs> it I'm will sure. get better. I promise it will get better. <laughs> Been there. I was there for many a year. The other morning, I thought Adam left. I heard him leave. Pretty sure he left. And I'm laying in bed. I have to pee. And I I got up because I heard him leave. I was like, oh, great. I have to pee really bad. He's in the bathroom. <laughs> so I just like went and lay back down in the bed until I heard him leave again. And then at night, I was like, I, what? I, I got up. I got up and you were here. I thought you left. He was like, he said, yeah, you got to make sure everything's taken care of before you get on the bike. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. We're talking the family jewels there. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine that if, if there is a, uh, uh, any part of a loaf that is in the oven, you don't want to, yeah. you don't want that. Once you, loaf. That physical, once you start that physical activity, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. You don't need things moving down into like, Ooh. it needs to be taken out of the oven right now situation. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, there will come a day you have your own bathroom teeny. I promise. We'll see. Really? Like, I don't know about that. I, yeah. <laughs> Look at you. So optimistic. I am. It's a, yeah, he goes you she Teeny goes to Best Buy and gets like the <laughs> not Best Buy, Home Depot. The, the, I got a porta john from yeah. the backyard. Exactly. <laughs> oh, look at my my own outhouse. I've made it. Moving on up. Okay, James Wong Howe was also the first minority director of photography admitted into the American Society of Cinematographers, which is their union. And he was known for his unusual lenses, film stock, and shooting techniques. Um, so I thought this was very interesting. He was also known for his deep focus cinematography, which we could kind of see in this. And that is always associated with Greg Tolan, who was the director of photography on Citizen Kane. Remember how like it's just so it was so stark and how it right. was usually um, like the, the depth of field is when everything in the frame is in focus. And that's really hard to do when you have big landscapes and like distance and stuff because just science, the way lenses work and all of that, like, you know, with our eyes, you look at something close, what's 
far away is blurry and vice versa. And so when you're able to capture all of that and it be an incredibly deep focus, everybody was like, oh, so that's what part of Citizen Kane was. It's touted for its beautiful and sublime cinematography. Well, how did that 10 years prior on his first sound film called The Transatlantic? Wow. This was, it was edited by Frank Brock. He also edited White Christmas. He won the Oscar for editing The Odd Couple. And he also cut Mandingo, to name a few. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I put that in for... I was like, I'm looking for a third title. Which one should I put? You know what? I'll put Mandingo in there for Mama. <laughs> and that one's for you. Oh, my God. It's starring Paul Leonard Newman, who... Nobody is drinking. Well, Ma's not drinking, but today is the 26th, and Paul Newman transitioned from this earth on September 26, 2008, and we are recording on the 26th. Paul Leonard Newman! Wow! Uh, there you go. Because he was born on January 26th. Yes, along with another American treasure. It's true. <laughs> if we're talking about me. At first I was like, wow, I didn't know Paul Newman transitioned. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been a pretty woman. <laughs> he has nice lips. Um, he plays Hud Bannon. He was 38 at the time of this shooting, Ugh, give or take. Man, so by this time, 1963, Paul Newman was a star. He had already done The Long Hot Summer. He had done Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. He had done The Philadelphian, and he had already done The Hustler. So he, like, he's just, I mean, he's, he's, he is the reason why this whole movie ends up being released. So we'll get to that later. Melvin Douglas played Homer Bannon. He was in Nanachka. Mm-hmm. being there and the candidate he's also the father of actress Ileana Douglas so, she's great yeah. you know Ileana Douglas she oh man it just, I just see her face she's just got really big eyes and um oh she's a great actress it escapes me what she's been in but i know you're googling it we have brandon DeWild. he was lonnie bannon he's best known for playing shane or not he wouldn't play shane he was the little kid in shane shane yeah shane. that was him i saw shane in film school and i don't remember i just remember that i saw it and it was a little kid and i don't remember it's one of those weird feel. Like I don't know. Do you guys ever have that feeling where you're like you remember seeing a movie and you kind of think that you remember liking it, but you don't know if you remember liking it or if it's oh, that's not what I thought the movie was gonna be kind yeah. of thing. And you don't know if it's a, a po- if it went like positive or negative. But I it just it does stick out in my head. Shane and that little kid. He was nominated for an Oscar. He was ten years old at that time when he was in Shane. So he was a child star. He was also in Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Virginian, Member of the Wedding, a whole bunch of stuff. Tragically, he passed on. He transitioned, if you will, at the age of 30 after a car accident outside of Denver, Colorado. Wow. 
So child actor, early death. Yeah, but it seemed like he had really made kind of the the transition to like he wasn't down and out. He was out there still acting. I think he was doing like a play or something. Hmm. That's too bad. And I thought he was really good in this. Yes, I did too. I was like, wow, look at this. Like and and I remember as a little like him and Shane being a little kid and being like, that's a attractive little blonde kid there. And then like growing up and it's kind of like, you know, if you get cast and you're kind of holding your own against Paul Newman, like I don't think that he was more attractive, but he definitely it definitely wasn't like, look at this dog over here. Next no, to it, Paul Newman. it wasn't. Yeah. And, it wasn't questioning genes at that point. Yeah. And we have. Patricia Neal, who she needs, like Gone with the Bushes needs to come up with some sort of category to recognize Patricia Neal. Teeny, you need to buckle in because you weren't with us when we did A Face in the Crowd. So <laughs> Patricia Neal's got a wild story. Get yeah. ready. So she was also in the A Face in the, okay, she did A Face in the Crowd, which we did. Highly recommend you guys checking out that movie because it is so so relevant to what is going on today. She followed that up with Breakfast at Tiffany's, which highly problematic, racist Asian stuff. But aside from that, classic. Then she did this movie and later on, then other stuff. And then also the subject was roses. So here's the nerd alert. She was in the fast the fountainhead and she had an affair with a married gary cooper she was 21 he was 46 and married like i said this is all allegedly from the wikipedia page gary cooper hit her in the face when he caught her when he caught kurt douglas trying to seduce her now, so he hit her in the face. Yeah, Gary Cooper, who was married, having married an affair, to somebody else. hit Patricia Neal in the face because Kurt Douglas was trying to seduce her. Now, they're, they're allegedly, and who knows what is true, I but somebody assaulted Natalie Wood, and if you read between the lines... That somebody was Kurt Douglas. Allegedly, Allegedly I uh, don't know. It's just this is a Hollywood rumor and whatever. And when I say assaulted, I don't mean like what we end up seeing in this movie. I mean like as horrible as the full extent of the assault, if you right. know what I mean. Allegedly. So went to fruition. Allegedly. So it kind of made me wonder, like and look, I don't know, this, this This is all like, you know, speculation and rumor, and I don't know what's true. Multiple things could be true, but it does make you think, was she being seduced? Or, and, and then she gets hit in the face. Just a whole bunch of toxic masculinity going on right now with the, just in Patricia Neal's life right then. Then... Cooper persuaded her, allegedly, whatever, to have an abortion when she became pregnant. Oh, Oh, and it gets worse. Yeah. Okay. So then Patricia Neal married the author Ronald Dahl. Yes. 
He wrote James and the Giant Peach, Willy Wonka, the fantastic Mr. Fox, that guy. Their son, Theo, when he was a baby in his baby carriage, was hit by a New York City taxi cab. And oh. yeah, and he had uh, like brain injury and stuff. Then her daughter Olivia died when she was seven years old from the measles. And that was November 1962. So the Patricia Neal that we see in this film is a Patricia Neal who has within the like very not even like a year lost her seven year old daughter. And her marriage was in trouble. And he... Oh, wait, Ma. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. 1965. So that's two years after this film. She has three burst cerebral aneurysms while she's pregnant. She was in a coma for three weeks. One newspaper just straight up ran her obituary. It was like, yeah, Patricia Neal, dead. But she survived. And helped develop a grueling therapy that changed the way that stroke victims or stroke patients are treated. She learned to walk, talk, and on August 4th, 1965, gave health, gave birth to a healthy girl. Oh, wow. Three years later, 1968. Yeah, she was able to, she got an Oscar nomination for her role in The Subject Was Roses. Take it away, Ma. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she was married to Raul Dahl, who uh, wrote all those children's books, but he was an anti-Semite. Yeah. I clicked on that, and there's this whole thing of anti-Semitism, and I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, imagine The podcast <laughs> Imagine That just, just completely skirted that whole thing. When they yes, I won't say what the episode title is, but I was like, "Ooh, ouch!" Okay, well, we start with a black and white um, screen with uh, we see a two lane road, a flat landscape. It it looked just like Texas, and so I went. Ho! I was just like, "No wonder this motherfucker won the Oscar!" Yes. There's a truck with a horse in a trailer and they're riding through a deserted town and he drops off a hitchhiker who is a young man who we find out is Lon and he's looking for his uncle Hut. He goes into the little diner and he could get two donuts for 10 cents. I know. He just goes in and, and the woman never even comes out. She's he's just like, hey, have you seen HUD? And she says whatever. And he's like, I'm taking two donuts. And she he was going to. Do you guys think he was just going to take the donuts? Yeah. Because yeah. I did. And then she says, be sure to leave a dime on the counter. And that's when he puts the dime. Yeah. He wasn't digging for that dime before that. Well, there's a another uh, storefront dude sweeping up broken glass and lon says whoa guess you had a rough night last night and the dude goes i had hud in here last night (laughs) then you see the big ass cadillac Mm -hmm. convertible parked in front of a little house now do you remember last week when we were talking about 
Janet Lee's bra. Yeah. And, and the pointedness of it. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said how the lady in the dressing room said, oh, my God, it looked like the front of a Cadillac. That's what I was that talking kind of Cadillac. about. I have a question. Is Was anybody able to know or pinpoint when this, like, because we know this movie came out in 1963, but is this a period piece for, if you were in the 63? Like, does this it take place? It was a 58 Cadillac. Okay, so it probably took place in the, in the, more in the 50s, like 58. Or do you think it took place in 63? I didn't peg HUD for having a brand new car. Yeah. I'm going to say in in the early, yeah, I'm going to go 60s. So probably about the same time as it was made. Okay. I wonder if, because there were a lot of things that they changed from the book. So I wondered if the time period, and I was like, is this a, in the 60s, would this have been a period piece to me? Like, oh, this was in the 50s or was it a 63? Because it's also a small Texas town. So it's not like they're on cutting edge of, grand things you know what i mean yes okay well um uh lon is walking up to the door and he finds a high heel outside he calls hud's name hud isn't coming out so he honks the caddy's horn and hud comes out and lon says we have trouble at the ranch grand granddad wants you at this point another car pulls up and a gentleman comes out and he says, which one of the two of you is coming out of my house at 6 a.m.? Oh. And what did what did Hud do? It was this guy. Look. He threw Lon he under threw, the bus. He threw Lon under the bus and then was like, look, sir, I am. I apologize. I'm so I'm taking him behind the shed. I'm going to whip his ass for for dealing with a, a married woman. Yeah. But she. So. They're cutting it kind of close because when Lon comes up, she's got the um, her shoe is out. You know, it was on the sidewalk. As the film progresses, it seems like having Hud's Cadillac out in front of your house all night. It's not an odd thing. Yeah, people married women were like going out in public with him. Right. Right. I don't think they were too worried about getting caught. Uh-uh. Yeah. Which I guess he... Yeah, but then you're like, damn, this guy's still alive? Like, this is not what I thought Texas was like. But, hey, stop stereotypes. Look at me. Shame on me. Did you look at HUD? Yeah, I guess the guys were all like... But still, I... But guys are guys. Like, even if they're ugly... You would think that somebody would get mad and put some lead in 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 their belly, in Hud's belly, shoot him. Uh, yeah, maybe. Okay. Um, well, he pulls up into uh, he he drives rather recklessly, and he pulls up to the homestead and he parks right in Alma's flower bed every time. Alma is Patricia Neal. She is the maid. That took, that took me a while to get. I'm like, wait, who? Is, I even wrote it down yeah, in my notes. Too. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know if she okay. was the the old man's uh, 
wife? Like, yeah, the new wife. wife. And then that kind of like, I crossed that out. And then I thought, oh, maybe she's the mother of Lonnie because I knew that Lonnie was HUD's nephew. So he was right. the son of HUD's brother. And I was like, oh, he, and early on they say how the brother's dead because Lonnie doesn't remember him at all. So I was like, oh, that's her widow and she's here. But no, that's not, no. that wasn't the case. And Maid is a, well, that's what she was. But I mean, she was there because there was no woman in the house. So she was the cooking, cleaning, taking care of the house person. And she had her own little cottage right by the house. It was a, basically like a tiny home. It's very in vogue now. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the Hud's daddy, Lon's granddaddy, is Homer. saying we. Okay, we um, we had a dead heifer in the night, and um, so then we go see the dead heifer. And there are buzzards there, and the buzzards don't. I mean, HUD shoots off <laughs> shotgun. Well, then we go see the dead heifer. It's. I laugh because it's it's true. Like we're not cattle people, so when I hear heifer, I think that it's a slur against a woman. I do. Yeah, I know. I agreed. So every time they're like, "Well, we got a dead heifer with nothing on her," I'm like, "Damn!" Is it? Let's go see the yeah. dead heifer. Um, so HUD is shooting his shotgun at the, at the buzzards and they aren't even budging because they have a good meal uh, waiting them. And so the grandpa says, you know, it's against the law to shoot buzzards. And HUD says the law was meant to be interpreted in a lenient manner. And that's what I try to do sometimes i lean to one side and sometimes i lean to the other so you see that we have a problem with the dad is a law-abiding man and hud is you know i hate to say it but if hud were here today he would be voting for trump i think so yeah yeah it's yeah yeah it's wild yeah um so then they go, um, the dad wants to call the, the feds in to have a look because they can't see any reason why the heifer died. And yeah, the so, dad's being highly, highly responsible here. The, the, the heifer is dead and there's no visible reason why, you know, no animal wounds, no like other things that they would know. So it's a mystery they have this thing, this looming cloud over this, like the worst case scenario. And it would be very easy for the Homer to just be like, oh, well, it was just one. All right. But he's like, wait a second. This could be the start of an epidemic. Like, I need to act responsibly. So, you know, I didn't even think about that because that's just how mine works at all times. My mind works at all times. Is how? I just worst case scenario <laughs> oh. i feel like homer was just like holy shit one of my cows is dead it's the end yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he uh, he knew what he was dealing with i think he'd been a cattleman all his life yeah so he, so he had that hunch but he didn't he didn't want to draw any conclusions and he wanted to follow everything because like you said he's protocol. a law protocol and also because 
of a of a responsibility to uh, to hu- to his fellow humans and fellow cattle ranchers and all that kind of stuff. Like if I don't act, if if my suspicions on what this might be is false, we're all good. If it's true and I neglected that, then I could destroy the entire like not the entire, but maybe the entire cattle industry. Like, yeah, we know how things spread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, surprisingly, HUD was saying, I don't want, I don't want government people here on our land. They're only going to come in and tell us what we, what we don't want to hear. And and they're just going to rip us off and we're going to be left with nothing. So, um, Homer says, I want you and Lon to stay here, look after the heifer until the government people get here, keep the buzzards away. And um, I'm taking these one Hispanic man and another man um, who had been up all night keeping the buzzards away. What are they called? Hands, something. Yeah, ranch hands. Ranch hands. Um, So they can get some sleep. Okay, so HUD says to Lon, yeah, you stay here because. I got a woman I got to go see. So he hops on the horse and goes back to town. He did a really good job riding the horse. He did. <laughs> okay, so um, Lon has that transistor radio. I thought that was going to come in at some point in the movie because it was only he always had oh, his yeah. transistor radio, but it didn't. Okay, then we see HUD in his car, and Patricia Neal is struggling with two grocery bags. So he stops to pick her up because, you know, she's bringing groceries to the house. He doesn't even help her. I mean, he doesn't even reach over to open the door for her. She's got these. She had to say, could you could you open the door? Yeah. And he opens it. Drive off before she even got the door closed. Yes. 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 And and she says somebody in this car smells like Chanel number five. It's not me because I can't afford it. Uh, um, and she starts eating out of the bag and Hud says, leave a little something for dinner. She okay. eats Fig Newtons, ma. Fig Newtons. Fig Newtons always remind me of my grandma because that's when I would get Fig Newtons. And like, yeah. if you give me a fig, I'll be like, nah. But if you give me a Fig Newton, I'm like, I like Fig Newtons. Oh, my dad used to eat like a sleeve of those a night. Mm-hmm. He was a regular man then. <laughs> <laughs> He would need his own turlet. <laughs> okay, next scene. Lon and Grandpa are on the porch, and uh, we find out that Lon's dad is dead. Norman. And, yeah, Norman after last week. And um, and Lon <laughs> says to Grandpa, what are you holding against HUD? Well, HUD comes out. He's all gussied up. He's going back into town, and... Uh, Grandpa says, "Be back before dawn because the, um, you know, the government people are coming." Yeah, the government vet- veterinarian. And he's flirting a little with Alma, and then Lon goes with with Hud. And when they uh, they're walking to the car, and Grandpa goes, "Just be careful." And the dad and Hud, that was a long, long stare long stare at each other so i kind of knew what happened to lon's dad at that point oh good because i didn't (laughs) i was just like oh that's weird 
Yeah, and, I was like, okay. I, I was like, oh, you're just gonna let him go? Like, I was like, oh wow, okay. This guy has obviously done some some internal work and stuff. Because if if what I think happened, wow. Well, HUD throws the keys to Lon and tells him to drive. So I was like, yeah, so this one's not on him because HUD can't be careful. So the only way he can be careful is to let Lon drive. The car. And HUD has pro is already pre-gamed. Like he, it's not like he's going yeah. to town to get drunk. No, no. And um, so Lon asks HUD, you know, what's the what's the story with you two? And HUD says it's a story I'll tell you someday when I'm drunk. But was he ever not drunk? Yeah, and also. He, how old do you think Lon is? 17. So Lon's 17. So in the oh, entire really? 17 years, like no one has said anything to Lon. Cause it's not like there's a whole bunch of places where pe these people can go. Right. It's exactly. Alma. That's who knows how long Alma's been there. She hasn't been there the entire 17 years. No. She kind of seems like more of a more recent transplant. You right. got a uh, Homer. Who's been there? But the people in town, you know, the people in town will be talking oh, about the, it. Yeah, you know that, like the the woman that he put the dime on the counter was like, probably knew. You know, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, exactly. People in town that you that place is so small that they went to the high school and stuff with him. It's not like it's a bunch of transients. Everybody knows everybody. So how, like, really, Lon doesn't know what happened to his dad? Evidently not. They get to town and they park. Of course, Lon hits the caddy on the curb. I do that. Oh, and God. and um, he 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 kind of flinches, waiting for like I know that I know that well. Like oh, I just messed <laughs> yeah. up oh, the oh, car. My oh God! My <laughs> brother opened the Cadillac door into the brick wall one time, and it was. Not fun. Oh, my brother didn't shut the back door of the car all the way. And my dad pulled into the garage <gasps> and the door <gasps> flew open. And yeah, um, <gasps> HUD's relationship with his father was way better than my brother's relationship with my dad. <laughs> Ma, do you remember when you had the, the Grand Dam, the champagne-colored Grand Dam, and you backed into the chain-link fence? <laughs> and I think the Grand Dam was, what, five days old? Oh, it was, like, brand... It was, like, br like it was pretty new. And it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, my life could completely change. <laughs> Oh no! Uh, I was so scared. I remember I was... back, and I'm looking oh. at my right side, never looking at my left side. Yeah, and there, there were no like beep 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 beep, no beeps no, on the oh car. There's no camera. It was just a yeah. chain link fence, and it was, it was just one of those things where because I don't, it's not like I have a specific memory of of like cars. I just know that you treat cars like they're Waterford crystal. Like, you know, there was no putting stickers up back when I was a kid. Like, there, I don't re really ever remember eating in a car. I remember it was instilled since my birth that cars 
are like churches and you respect them. So they have to be pristine. They have to be pristine. And Even when they have 200,000 miles on them, they have to be pristine. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my mother? And I, I witnessed was, I'm alive. it. But yeah, yeah. it was. Just, it, it, uh, he was just like, he, yeah, that's why we have insurance. Okay. And you're just like, there's so much rage boiling within. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, there's even more to that story, but I digress. Uh, Hud goes into a bar, and then he's on his way to Miss, Mrs. Eugene Fletcher's house. Um, told about brother and self. Some he was born <laughs> in his mom died. <laughs> told about brother and self. Oh, I guess Hud was telling Lon about his dad and Hud the summer that Lon was born and Lon's mama died. So Lon's mama died when he oh, was born. Oh, like, I, yeah, I didn't get there. Man, talk about, so, nerd alert on me. I've taken on CBS All Access their Perry Mason, the original Perry Mason is on there and I've started watching it. And wow, people in the 60s, 50s, whenever the original Perry Mason was on were way more literate than I am because every episode I'm like, I have to rewind it and be like, what just happened? I don't, these context clues and the writing uh -huh. and how there's like all of this subtlety and stuff. And I don't know if it's because of the code, the Hayes code, where they couldn't say certain stuff and they had to allude to it. Or if that was just like waspiness of not really saying what's really going on. I'm, I, I would get lost. That's why Lon didn't ever know what happened between yeah, Hud and right? his dad. Because it I was all... But, but at school, <laughs> in the schoolyard, it, like one kid would have been like, hey, you know, your uncle killed your father. Like, that's what I would be banking on. Right, right. Okay. Now we have Lon in bed. It's the morning. Alma's waking him up. And Lon is saying, where do you sleep or something? Yeah, it was kind of getting a yeah, little, that's a little creep. That's a little creep. I don't yeah. know. And she says, I sleep he's in my also He's also voting for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> well. But he's also, he's 17. And look at his, like, what's he got going? Like, he doesn't have the yeah. internet. He's got Alma. And his transistor radio. Yeah. That's all he's got. She says, I sleep in my own room with the door locked. Because <laughs> I, I sleep within, what, 100 yards of three men. So... And one of them, you know. Okay, the vet comes and says, I'm going to need to inspect all of the cattle because I hope it's not true, but I'm pretty sure this heifer had <laughs> foot and mouth disease. I have a nerd alert. Do you know what foot and mouth disease is? Go ahead. I did look it up for oh, this. Oh, you did? Because I thought it was hoof and mouth disease. But well, it's... you might have extra stuff because I... I own I very cursory. I, um, it's a fatal viral disease that affects cloven hoofed animals and it's highly infectious. Then how do humans get it? 
Well, it's if we don't have hooves. It's rare, but it it's the same kind of thing of how we get the I know somebody the COVID. who had their kid had hand, foot, and mouth disease. Ooh, like kids get that a lot. It might be like a um, variation of it. Okay. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to look that up because yeah, I do know that. Does it, um, humans. Can I mean, I've get never it. met. I've never met. A, I haven't met a lot of kids, so they could have hooves, and I don't know. But, well, that would be why if the ones you know have I foot think, and mouth disease. And I, I don't really have a great rem- memory, but I do tend to look up a lot of things, a lot of diseases when I hear about them. I do have a book called "This is the Book of Things That Might Kill You," and I believe that foot and mouth disease is one of those diseases. I apologize if this is wrong. I'm just going purely off All the dome here. All of our physicians here. who are listening yeah, would be cringing right now. Really <laughs> apologize. A future apology to all the lawyers who are going to be listening cuz I'm going to I'm going to I'm it's going to get weird. I think foot and mouth disease is one of those diseases that is prominent in less financially stable places because I think it has to do with, um, you know, like walking, like the ground and stuff and then walking with bare feet. Yeah. And not sanitary conditions, maybe like sewage and, and having that sort of fecal particles and that kind of thing. And then it gets on your hands and you eat it and that kind of thing. I think, I think I could be mistaken. It's not good. Oh, this says it's very common in five-year-olds. Yeah, because I think... Hand, it's very common in children under five years, but anyone can get it. It's not serious, but it's very contagious, and it spreads quickly at schools and daycare centers. Mm-hmm. Because uh, kids are nasty. Yeah. Yeah, because they they're always sticking something in their mouth. Yeah. If it's not their hands, it's something that their hands have been all over. It doesn't they're... seem that bad these days. I think, get, I think the, um, it's a rash and fever and a sore throat. Yeah, but I, I wonder if it's worse in the cloven animals. Yeah. Well, it's probably and, worse if you have hooves. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's one of those things where it contaminates the meat. So then the meat supply. Yeah, I think it does, and you can't make money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is the only reason that you're, you got all this cattle. Okay. So he says we're gonna infect uh, a the horse, a couple horses, and some calves. I guess horses can't can't get it because they don't have a cloven hoof. Well, I think it, that you can get. Infect, they might be able. What to, did I say? Inspect. Yeah, in, infect. No, no, you said we're gonna infect them. <laughs> yeah. Well, the wait. Because, but I thought they were gonna inspect them. They're gonna infect them. No, they yeah. infected the horses because I think. Because in like it's oh, like humans. Well, thank God I don't live on a ranch. <laughs> well, they have to infect in order to inspect. Oh, because God. they oh, like the flu shot. Yeah, like yeah. they give it to the horses. I, I think because it's like horses and and something else that aren't cloven, they can carry it, but they don't pass it on. So there are certain animals like, okay. that that are they can carry it and it's fine and they're not going to pass it on to humans or whatever and so they would in I don't know man I'm not a scientist so the vet comes and says it probably is not good yeah yeah exactly exactly 
And at which point grandpa goes, you know, I did just buy some cattle from Mexico. I don't, I don't, like, why couldn't it have been cattle from Wyoming? So HUD starts arguing, sell every breed of cow you own right now. Yeah. He's just Go like, sell them, sell it, which is sell it. spread it to every cow farmer in. But he's, he's looking at the law. In the way that, well, we're not breaking the law because we don't know if these have it. It's just that. Right. And, and if they don't, they, they very well could. Right now it's 50-50, a coin flip. They might not have it. So get rid, sell it, and then we've made a profit. And it's fine. And the dad's like, but it kind of seems like we probably do. And then we're just going to, like, that's how epidemics start. Yeah. Um, yeah, because HUD says, unload them up north. And the father says, we could ruin the whole country. Um, and HUD says, how many honest men do you know? And the father says, you're an unprincipled man, HUD. So then they round up all the cattle, and that was a lot of cattle. That was a lot. That was, those were. This afternoon um, has been a regular bitch, said Homer. And he's an old, tired man. There are two longhorns that Homer has kept um, all this time. And everything we own came from them. So I guess he started breeding them and got all of his cattle. Look, I knew that that was significant because I know that the Texas University of Texas mascot is the longhorns. So I'm like, all right. You don't have to tell me, 1963, that longhorns are a bit of a thing. Bit of a thing. And Lon said, and so Grandpa is just looking at him, and Lon says, let's just turn him loose. And Grandpa goes, nope. But I was, I thought that maybe the long because they had been out, I thought maybe they were spared because they had wandered away, and so they weren't. With the rest of the the um, herd, yeah, with the rest of the herd. So maybe they were like they had quarantined, unbeknowing to themselves, and it was all good. But yeah, I, I thought guess. maybe so too. Uh, Lon and Grandpa go to the movies, and before the movie starts, they sing "Oh My Darling Clementine." They used to sing movies before the uh, songs before the movie. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I cannot get over how much Grandpa loved that song. He did love it. I I went through a Clementine. He was really into it. It's a fun... I I do, except and her shoes were number nine. Somehow, I guess that was like in the cartoon version that I... Because I... Like Clementine... Oh, my darling, Clementine has gotten into my head on numerous occasions. Randomly. I know. You're telling me. Well, if you went to the movies on a on an army base before the movie starts, you have to stand up for the national anthem. But it's yeah. the army yeah. base. You're always standing up for the national anthem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you're or always for taps. Yeah, yeah, you're always like, Oh, what time is it? They're putting the flag down. Oh, they're putting the flag up. Oh like you just are always just standing up with your hand over your heart. Okay, then they go into the malt shop, and Lon is fixing that burger. Didn't you want to taste that burger? Oh, I wanted to eat it so bad. It looked good. And, of course, Hud comes in with Truman, somebody's wife. <laughs> like, 
all the married women in the entire like it's not a big town. Oh, but yeah. Um, and so he sees Grandpa and um, Lon, and so he's gonna rub it in his face. Wait, Ma, he makes the wife pay for his smokes, <laughs> and then he takes the, the change. change, and she's like, "Can I have my change back?" And God damn it, he was so charming in taking that woman's change that I was like, yeah, I would have been got too. Yeah, yeah. What else do you want? You want two, two packs of smokes? Okay, he introduces her, um, but but uh, Homer it, is ignoring the whole thing. And Hud's going, he doesn't want to socialize with me. And then Grandpa slumps over. I thought it was the end. I did too. I was like, he just did he just die? Yeah. And grandpa says, get me home. And I'm like, wait, no, grandpa. Why are we going to leave the town? Shouldn't we stay in town where the doctor is? I'm assuming that the doctor's near town. Why are we gonna be near where like you can be resuscitated and there are people and we can get you where you need to go? And instead you wanna go out in the wilderness? Well, and then Grandpa is passed out in the car, and Lon is kind of sad, and Hud says to him, nobody gets out of life alive. Yeah, well, this is true. Because, you know, he's such a philosopher. That has been 40 minutes. Wow, nice. So, yes. Oh, it's and on. things start to take a turn. It so. is. So, okay, guys, listeners, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Beautiful I paid for cinematography. It, and it was worth my three ninety nine. Yeah, go watch it because we're about to spoil it for you. So we'll be here. You can be like, oh, let me go see. Like, yeah, it's Paul Newman. So go check that out. Amazon Prime. If you don't, Paul it's Newman your own in fault. his prime on Amazon Prime. Okay, so POC, we said that the cinematographer is an Asian person. Uh, yeah, Asian American. And we had the a, ranch hand, a ranch hand who was um, probably Mexican American or, or something. Judge, we don't want to assume he could be Salvadorian, just, Guatemalan, but probably. I'm just saying Texas and it was Mexico has, originally, right so he mm -hmm. is on his own land. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we're going with two. Okay, nerd alerts. All right, so. Which paper is it on? Teeny, do you have nerd alerts? I don't have any nerd okay. alerts. I do. Uh, okay. So this was released May 29th, 1963. I got a bunch to set the table for what 1963 was like in America. Astro this Boy. Is May. This is before November of 1963. Yes. So this is all, like, this is one of those, this is like uh, June 2001. Um. Astro Boy, Japan's first serialized animated series based on a popular manga, debuted on Japanese TV. So the, it's the first anime is on Japanese TV in wow, 1963. George Wallace becomes governor of Alabama and in his inauguration speech says, Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. That's pretty much what he sounds mm -hmm. like. Harvey Gantt enters Clemson University in South Carolina and says, ha, you can take your segregation and shove it up your ass, George Wallace. 
Um, because he enters the university and he was a black man and that was the last state to hold out against racial desegregation. So <laughs> in February, travel, financial and commercial transactions by U.S. citizens to Cuba was made illegal by the John F. Kennedy administration. The Beatles recorded in one day their debut album, Please Please Me, and it it, uh, ends up being released in March. They recorded that one day in February. Betty Friedman published The Feminine Mystique, and that reawoke the women's movement. I recommend FX's, what was that called? Oh, Kate Blanchett, Miss America. And Mrs. America, I think. I thought Mrs. America, maybe. Yeah. So then watch that because isn't she played by Tracy Almond? She in, is played by Tracy. Yep. Almond. So there's that. In March, Patsy Cline died in a plane crash. Ooh. 1963. She was like a big star, too, mm-hmm. right? So that was a big deal. Um, the Supreme Court case, Gideon versus Wainwright, that required the states to state courts to provide counsel in criminal cases for attorneys for those defendants who could not afford one 1963 you know what like you have the right if you can one will be appointed for you in the court of law that was like 1963 geez alfred hitchcock the birds was released so remember three years previously psycho had been released this was wild to me, and I kind of want to look more into it. Indigenous Australians were legally allowed to drink alcohol in New South Wales, 1963. Huh. Like, you weren't, all, it's your own country, you're not allowed to drink alcohol? Like, what? Wild. Wow. Um, in April 1963, General Hospital debuted on ABC. Lawrence of Arabia won Best Picture. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested for protesting and the law, like in order to arrest him for protesting, which you're allowed to do, you know, but they said that he was parading without a permit. (laughs) It's okay. Adam's computer decided to just up and do a systems update. So we roll with things here. We do indeed. He's he's always he's always sticking his finger Even in his when podcast. He's at work, he's making noise. Just making noise. <laughs> and so, as a result, from him being in jail for parading without a permit, which is what they were calling protesting, he wrote letter from Birmingham jail. It, oh, Coca Cola Classic released Tab. 1963. Oh, wow, that was so nasty. Um, and Bob Dylan, he released the Blowing in the Wind from his album, The Freewheeling Bob Dylan. So that was 1963. Wow. Leading up to this. So, yeah, this was all before November when things go left, as, as, as they say, as the kids say. As the kids say. As the kids say that. Yeah, John F. Kennedy was doing a whole bunch of stuff. He was making speeches. He did the Ich bin ein Berliner, like, in, more in the summer. He also was like, I want to have a civil rights bill because people should be treated the way that you want to be treated. And and where was he assassinated in November of 63? Oh, Dallas. 
Dallas, Texas. Texas. Okay. Those are our nerd alerts. Mm -hmm. We are going to our reheatables. Oh, man. Okay. My reheatables are everywhere. Okay. So um, the treatment of the cows. When they put them through that. So we're going with bad first. Yes. Yes. Um, So Lon got hit by a bull, right? And he passed out. Mm -hmm. And they took him home to sleep. He yes. probably had a concussion. Yes, concussion and protocol. And she's like, you need to sleep now. And I'm like, no, that's the last thing that's Lon thing needs to do needs right to do. now. <laughs> so that's a, that is the concussion protocol and how concussions are treated. Definitely a bad reheatable from this film. Right. Quarantine is always a bad reheatable. Um, this was Texas before air conditioning. I lived in Texas for three years with air conditioning, and it was hell. Is it humid? We had the air air conditioner on when we put up the Christmas tree. I saw a sign for Christmas trees when I was out today in the valley. Oh, my God. My brother works at Big Lots, and they've had their Christmas stuff up for, like, a month now. Oh, my gosh. Um. So they're they're having this little shindig where uh, they have a dance competition is happening, and I loved how uh, that's a positive reheatable. So I'll stop that. But they have um, so they have these white cu- white kids who are dancing, and one of my negative reheatables is white people dance. <laughs> I'm glad you said it because <laughs> it was so bad. And one of the girls dancing had on her little white anklets with loafers. I used to have to wear that, but the problem was the loafer would pull the heel of the sock down. Oh, I hate that. And then I'd have to keep, and once it happens once, it's never going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, that I still felt that. And they were all doing the twist. They were all doing the same move. And I I was like, Hey, Wong, James, could we get in tighter to see if there's any like underbite action or what is it? The overbite action going like what's what's going on here oh okay God. yeah 63 everybody was doing the twist and i was doing irony the twist. isn't wasn't it chubby checker that yes was like yes. black man so <sighs> okay and then the whole um i'm going to call it the um cow problem as the as the Nazis called it, their Jewish problem. Oh, how I, let's not equate the two. How did you not equate that with the Nazis and their Jewish problem? Because these cows. Because this was okay. No, I, I'm not. I'm saying the poor cows were put into a pit and just shot as many Jewish people were put into a pit and shot yes, by but they, the Nazis. But the Jewish people didn't have diseases and stuff. This These cows were, it was an epidemic I of the... That, but the visual was a, was a yes, bad reminder. Yes, the visual was, it, it did... I'm not saying Jewish people were go, diseased. I just want to make sure, like, we've said some quite, like things that could be taken way out of context, and I, I did not want to... Like, we are not Ronald Dahl here. I 
True, I am true. I am pro the Jewish people and all about them. So I I was like, no, they were innocent and rounded up like cattle. And okay, while we're here doing this, I'm gonna bring up something I've just learned from this book, Cast. Yes. We we mentioned it on another podcast, yes. So I'm reading about, um, and she's talking about the caste system in India, the caste system here in America, and the caste system of the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So the Nazis looked to how the Americas handled their problem with their Negroes, and the Nazis were going, whoa, that's a little too rough for us. Huh? Yeah. When you when yeah. you get when you get Nazis being like the Nazis who looked who also looked at how Armenians were treated in the genocide and was like taking notes and were like okay noted noted you know that I believe it's 1918 the Armenians were genocide victims of a genocide and they're like okay okay and then uh, like the Nazis go over to and look at how American Black Americans are treated and they're like oh. That's that's a yeah. bridge too far. Yeah, couple, we draw the line. A couple times when they went, oh, that's wow. even for us. That's that's fucked up. <laughs> oh, you're gonna get so mad when you read this book, but you're gonna read it anyway. Okay, those are my negatives. Mine are. Well, I do have a special guest negative from Adam. Oh. What the, his quote was. That is not how you drive a Cadillac. Hug <laughs> uh, driving. Because he was wild. Going over those rail those yeah. tracks and yeah. falling into the flower beds. He wasn't braking. I did wonder braking. about his suspension. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Um uh, what's almost smoking a cigarette while she's cooking. <laughs> He was a fool with ash into the pot. Yeah. I said Fig Newtons because I think they're disgusting. Oh, okay. Um, And then I just wrote down, Hud is a piece of shit. Yes. Yeah. He is. He's a dick. Paul Newman admitted, said that. I have something in Tasty Nuggets about that. My negative reheatables. Crap. Huh. I got my notes over here. I got rap. And I'm like, apparently an hour ago I knew what that meant. Rap. Rap. Um, uh, concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I left off the E. Rape. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, definitely a negative. I apologize to hip hop. I did not mean no. Yeah, rape, the assault when when HUD attempts to assault Alma in his drunken rage. Like I'm like Paul Newman. Paul, no, no, Paul. I you don't. You don't have to do that, no, Paul. You, what? you don't have to. She was. She's legitimately kind of into you, Paul. No. Um. Also, like, we'll get into it later, but just how 
um, the director, Rit, and Paul Newman were, were just playing. Like, Paul Newman's playing this guy as a villain. And then people, when they watched it, they're they he's a hero. They, they really looked up to him and stuff. Mention the concussion protocol. Um, also, they, okay, you know he was drunk when he killed his brother in the car accident. So he kind of should have been doing time for that. That's the manslaughter. And the assault, he should be doing time for that. Um, and then, like, the whole thing of how like, it got, like, it's a, like, when I was watching it and the things that HUD would say, I'm like, wow, this is pretty much Wall Street. Cause mm-hmm. that, and then, like, in the 80s, you're going to have greed is good. And I, I just felt Michael Douglas's presence just all of a sudden like hud just turns into michael douglas and i don't even think i've seen the original wall street i just know greed is for lack of a better word is good so those are my i believe bad reheatables okay if you you did you see another i i okay positive reheatables the kitchen sink uh, that's that farm kitchen. It wasn't. Seat. It wasn't a an apron front, but it had the porcelain going up, up the wall, and the faucets were coming out of the porcelain. I loved it. Okay, um, when the kids were dancing, they were dancing in an area where uh, a lot of livestock had been. It was probably it's like the, um, they're probably gonna get hand foot mouth disease. Well, it, it was the probably rodeo, the rodeo thing, grass, yeah. but they had put down boards for them to dance on. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was a positive reheatable. They mm-hmm. weren't getting all that poop in oh, their okay. shoes. Um, it was uh, Alma's Jenny Lind bed. Cause that's the that's same my bed, bed, right? I mm-hmm. looked at that bed and I was like, holy crap, that's my bed. Mm-hmm. My ch- that's Your my bed childhood bed. Mm-hmm. What is it? Jenny Lind. Oh, who is that? Was that like the Martha Stewart of her day? I, I, it was just named that. Oh, because I looked at it. And I was like, I'm, and I have it in my notes to ask Ma, is that my bed? Alma's yes. bed. It was, it was grandma's, your, your great grandma's bed. I know, but, I Al, but Alma was, because Alma was my grandma's sister. And so that's, but she's also the character in the movie. And that's why I was like, yeah. Alma's bed. Oh, got it. Yeah. Cause that was, that was a hard swallow for me. <laughs> but my most positive reheatable is Patricia Neal. We need to come up with some sort of category, like the Gone with the Bushes, like, I, I don't know, like just defiance, like just badass woman. Phoenix Award. Just the Phoenix Award, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Um, wh- I had never seen this movie all the way through. And so when I just saw clips, it was always my impression that Patricia Neal and uh, Paul Newman were like an item in the movie. So yeah, the will I they, won't always, they. Right. I was always um, like, wow, she just doesn't seem like his type. You know? she, that's the beauty of Patricia Neal is because we said it in uh, a face in the crowd was that there's mm-hmm. just something about her because it's like when and 
it's hard to because I want to be nuanced in it is that when you first look at her she is not Charlize Theron you know like she is is not like oh maybe that's why I like her so much yeah like Grace Kelly like she is a real woman like there's something that is just very real about her and that when you sit with her then it's like a flower opening and you see her beauty and it's like oh wow as soon as she starts talking talking about her not wearing shoes and like he was like I've never seen you wear shoes I don't remember what she said but I just love that she was like walking around barefoot all the time Mm -hmm. And, and she would rebuke him, you yeah. know. She wouldn't fall in all over herself for him. Um, so yeah, um, I her personality really comes out as soon as she starts. And she was a badass in this. She was, and this was filmed, I think, in like May and stuff. And her daughter, her seven-year-old daughter, died in November. Yeah, I have a, a nerd alert about that. Okay, those were my positives. Crap. Um, <laughs> you can always go with Paul Newman, just his face. Oh, no, that was one I forgot. Oh. Um, just the way he looked in this movie. I really enjoyed that. Oh. Did, now do you understand like why we now have a I month? Understand. The last time I was like, I mean, he's just like any other good-looking guy. But this one, I was like, okay. Um, And then I just had another... Well... I'll finish my repeatables. Two donuts for a dime because we went and got six last week and it was $15. And I was like, this is a good price. <laughs> they were vegan, okay? <laughs> um, and, oh my darling, Clementine, that song just really doesn't go away. No. It doesn't. It will be but stuck I, in your head. And I just had an idea. For the podcast. <gasps> what if for the end of the year, say the last show of the year, we do an, our own awards ceremony where we give awards based on all on all the movies we, we did this year? I love it. You're oh my God. It's so much like yeah. research. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, we're doing, oh, we're having our own. Good. So then we go through the categories and we're. Yeah. Wow. I like Excellent. it. Excellent. Excellent. Um, oh. Yeah. And those are my good readables. Well, you have to remember that, Christine, because I don't remember anything. So. I wrote down award ceremony. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Because good. we'll have to be like once, like December, after Thanksgiving, then we have to, like, that has to be. Because then we can like space it out and we'll know. And we could film it at Christmas. <sighs> Knock on wood, I hope. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I'm going back. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. <laughs> You're coming here. I'm putting it on my calendar. Okay, that's fantastic. Okay. That will work. Um, okay, those are... Oh, Aaron, fine. You're positive. Yes, okay. Oh, one of my positives is a quotable. So we'll we will get to that later. Um, I think that it is a good reheatable of how HUD was played and wanted to be depicted as a villain. 
And when I watched this film, I was like, fuck this motherfucker. Like, he's a villain. So I was I was relieved to see that that had been the intention. And I guess that's why it's a no, it's why it's a good reheatable, because it it's funny how here's the intention. Here's how it was perceived, which wasn't what it is. And now in 2020, I guess, depending on your perspective of the world you would be like yeah you guys did exactly what you wanted to do he is a villain um homer the father so when the cattle when the cat he kills off the cattle hud is like hey and he makes a very depending on your view i mean i i can see both ways i can hold both thoughts in my head hud says we have land. There's probably oil beneath here. We're not done. Like, we can still make money. And the father, Homer, was like, no, I don't want I don't want that. And so I was like, look at Homer being anti-oil, anti-fossil fuels. That is a fantastic reheatable in 2020 when the entire West Coast is on fire. So <laughs> thank you, Homer. And then also another great reheatable is Lonnie's radio because he had his radio with him and he's walking around and that was what he always had songs with him and I just I was like oh that's crazy because that's what everybody now like you're still like if you you know you have it except now we have it was like Lonnie he's in Texas so how many channels do you think that he probably got over that radio one like maybe one maybe two depending on where he was mm-hmm. yeah. and that's just what he listened to whereas like now everywhere we go we have music in our ears and we're the djs like we get to decide like i want to listen to elo like i can listen to it i want to i want to listen to super tramp or t-rex i can listen to it now i want to listen to run the jewels listen to it and it did kind of it was like that thing where it isn't like you don't want to say like oh it's better now and like back then and but I just it made me think of the kids now and how you can have everything that you want and it's up to you to decide and there was kind of a freedom in the radio days where it was like well you just had the radio and that was a decision that you didn't have to make like yeah. now I have to make the decision and I, I can pick a song and be like, all right, you know, you play the songs that are like this, but sometimes there is just, I do kind of miss that, you know, like turning on the TV and it's, you know, cause when we were in Germany, we had the one channel and that's what was on TV and you didn't have to think about that. And now mm-hmm. I don't have cable. So if I turn on the TV, I have to make a decision on what I'm watching. And I just think it's going to be interesting how that plays out in society. Yeah. I mean, it's already playing out because it's instant gratification. It is. But then also the the mental fatigue the of that. Pressure. Yeah. yeah. Like that's a decision that you have to. It's like, Ma, when I go home and you you ask me, like, what do you want to eat? And I remember when I was little and it was dinner time and you would ask us what we want to eat and stuff because it is that like I have to make a decision of what I want to eat every day. day. (laughs) And like 
And then what happens when I come home? I'm like, I don't like I will eat what you eat because every single day I have to make that decision. And I take that off my plate and I will eat whatever. What do you want to eat? It's going to be interesting. And I say, oh, so I have to go ahead and make the decision again. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) basically. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, we are two quotables. I did quite a few. But I did have a couple. Um, Okay, so only question I ever ask is, what time is your husband coming home? Oh, that was HUD. That was HUD. I've done my time with one cold-blooded bastard. I'm not looking for another. The Phoenix, Patricia Neal. And when she said that, she was talking to HUD, and um, there was a fly or something, and she had the dish towel, and she just killed it with the dish towel. That was that was not scripted. She just did that. Like, I just hit my microphone. And um, they kept it in because it was so, that was so it's real. I mean, yeah. Um, little by little, the look of the country changes because of the people we admire. That was Homer. Yeah, that's true. Because, because the whole thing was that Lonnie looked up to HUD and he's like, Hey, that you're looking up to this, but who are, what are you really looking up to? And are you really looking up to, I will, I will win and winning means amassing money and using everything that I need to taking every law and bending it to my will because like they say even the devil can quote the scripture so taking everything and and all of these facts and stuff and bending it and skewing it to what what suits me and how it will affect me Whereas Homer was like, I can't let these cows go out because it's going to affect everybody. And I'm going to take a loss on this. But this isn't about me. This is about the greater good. A.K.A. wearing a mask. (laughs) A.K.A. There was one quote where uh, Paul Newman was yelling at, at Homer. And he was going, you are so good. I, I had to turn out bad. But then there was another quote, and I didn't have it written down, where Paul Newman's HUD yells to the father, like, well, I'm I'm your son. Because he was like, "Why? I, I can't believe that you're my son. And he was like, well, I'm your son because you have needs below the belt. And, and then there's also like a quote, I apologize if I'm stepping on it, where Paul Newman basically says that, like, well, he was loved by his mom and his mom's dead. And I don't, yeah. and so then it made me wonder, like, well, does Paul Newman, did he have the same father as Norman? Did the That's sons have the I same wondered. father? Because he comes back with that thing of, like, yeah, I'm your son because, like, he he makes it seem like he saw a pretty woman and he, and we are yeah. the same. And it's like, are, like, seriously, you don't know where I came from? See, you know, so I was like, oh, yeah, it, it left it up to uh, interpretation. Mm-hmm. Those were mine. Let's see. Mine. Um, when they were driving the Cadillac and Locke said, you sure do drive this thing, don't you? <laughs> um, when that dick 
Paul Newman HUD said, your job is to keep house, not to worry about my disposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then when he picked up Alma, and she was like, um, did you pick up my beer? He HUD was like, did you pick up my beer? And she said, two six-packs. That ought to last you till tomorrow. He <laughs> said, you can count on me. <laughs> I like that part. Um, and then when HUD was talking about his relationship with his brother and their car, and he was like, I don't know which, I don't know which we ran the hardest, that car or those country girls. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did Norman look like? Oh, yeah, I know. And then this dick HUD said, oh, like, it's towards the end when he was talking to Alma, and he said, I'll remember you, honey. You're the one that got away. I, oh, I did not like him. Because that was when they were, he says that when they're at the bus station as Alma's getting on the bus because she's like, After I can't he stay like, oh, here. I hope it wasn't like you raped me. Basically. Right. Yeah, like you awesome. would have raped me if it hadn't been for Lonnie coming in and saving me. Yeah, when he was like, because you're the one that got away. Exactly. Yeah. And he, and he apologized, and he did his whole, like, Paul Newman, like, that's not usually like me. I'm not usually like that. And I was just like, is she going to stay? Because it is Paul Newman delivering these lines, and it is highly problematic what I'm saying right now because it should not matter at all. But when he was just doing that, and I was just like, just get on the bus, Patricia Neal. Just get on. Yeah. Just don't look at him and just get on the bus because he was apologizing. And it's kind of like I understand why women end up in these situations because the he comes back and he's all well, yeah. like, I'm not usually like that. And I hope that like I apologize and it'll never happen again. But mm-hmm. she got on the bus and she left. Good for her. Yep, she's not looking for another cold-blooded bastard. Yep, no matter, it doesn't matter if it's Paul Newman. Right. Erin, your quotables. Oh, my quotables. Um, just how he calls them sport, and how like in the 30s we would hear people like sport, and it's just completely dead now. You never hear yeah. anyone call anyone sport. Hey, sport. So I'm like, can we bring it back? Sport? It's just weird to me and it makes me laugh because there's no gender associated with it. So I'm like, maybe this is a great thing to bring back. I don't know. More research needs to be done. It could be highly problematic and it racist. Could be so I don't know, but um you already have my the little by little the look of the country changes. Oh, the whole country is run on epidemics where you been <sighs> I, was, I was like oh that is prescient um they don't agree with nothing they're the law I was like, oh, okay yeah interesting um and they have the alma's bad quotable you need to doze off now like, no you don't yeah <laughs> Stay away. Oh, no. So, um, oh, Lonnie, I wish you wouldn't do that. They keep the country clean. Besides, there's a law against killing buzzards. Yeah. 
So those, yeah, those are my quotables. There are a lot of good quotes. I wonder there which so were. Many I feel like there were a lot. Like most of the quotables are from the novel from Larry McMurtry, oh. but I don't want to cast aspersions on on Harriet Frank Jr. So, um, my LVP least valuable player was Hud's moral compass. Oh, that's a good one. Um, my turn. Mm-hmm. My LVP was what we've kind of already talked about, but just the fact that Paul played HUD as a villain and he was like shocked to find out that young people had like posters of him and like recognized him as a hero, but like, I mean, look yeah. at what he did. Yeah. My LVP is the sick cattle. Because, yeah. and we didn't really, I mean, we kind of, but we didn't get into the technical aspects of it. And I, I guess I, I do have some tasty nuggets on it. So it was just the sick cattle and that he bought the, the cattle. And I thought that I was just like, oh, but why do you have to be from Mexico? I know, because that's it was, how I was too. It kind of, then it, you know, just the, the, this movie doesn't have a lot of representation in it, and it just seems like a, a dig that, like, oh, yeah, well, they were cattle from... And maybe that's not the way that it's meant to be taken, but for me in my 2020 lenses, looking back in 1963, it kind of makes it like, well, what did you expect? You bought cheap cattle from Mexico, and and it's like, well, it's not like all Mexican cattle were, you know, had the disease and stuff, and... So I was just like, we uh, don't even know that it that yeah, the, they you know, came from exactly. It could have come from those two Longhorns that were out doing who knows what and coming back in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. And then just the the whole thing of then that the cattle needs to just be dealt with, and it it's. I mean, you're just like well it you know the science of it and and your feelings toward it you're just like oh man yeah okay okay my mvp paul newman's smile (laughs) my god when he smiles yeah but this was a tough it's a great paul newman role because he's fantastic in it and he looks fantastic but he is so unlikable. Well, he did this role because after the the cat on a hot tin roof and something else, he was um, vilified by the by the press, the people who the people who um, studio cr- the critics critics. The critics. And, and so he wanted to do just a bad role. So, you know, just be a bad, like, I am, I didn't fault him. I totally knew why he would want to play this role. It's like, right, yeah, this right. is a juicy role to play. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He does play a lot of drunks and he's quite good at being drunk. Yeah. He did play drunks a mm-hmm. lot. He, he was drunk in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Wasn't he drunk in like, I mean, Harper, this yeah. I was waiting for the scene. It seemed like every Paul Newman movie for a while, he would put the ice cubes in the sink and put his face in it. Oh, I was yeah. waiting for that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, Teeny, your MVP. Mine was, um, oh, shit, what's her name? Patricia, Patricia Neal. Oh, nice. Yes, I agree. And, well, 
and or Alma. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Mm-hmm. He played. She played the hell out of that role. She reminded me of myself. But... I could see that. No nonsense. That. Yeah. Let's get to the point. Mm-hmm. If Excellent. I was a maid somewhere, I wouldn't wear shoes either. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to do it my way. All right. Well, my my film MVP is James Wong Howe, the cinematographer. Yes. Boy, I because I kept thinking uh, uh, as I just stepped on you. I'm sorry. That's fine. But um, I thought you know it could have been filmed in Southern California, but man, that yeah. was so Texas, mm-hmm. flat, flat, no trees nothing to break it up he made the landscape a character yes you just felt it was texas but my real mvp is a line that you already said it was the line well i always interpret so the father homer said i wish you want to do that Hi, Jim. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm new to this. Shan, Shan is up here with us. His picture is... <laughs> He's part of the podcast now. Oh, God. Why is Aaron crying the entire last half of the podcast? I don't know how to get Chandler off of there. Leave him on there. I'm sorry. Who was your MVP? My real MVP is when Homer says, I wish you wouldn't do that. They keep the country clean. Besides, there's a law against killing buzzards. And then HUD replies, well, I always say the law was meant to be interpreted in a lenient manner. That's what I try to do. I sometimes lean to the side of it and I sometimes lean to the other. And that's my MVP because that is what people do with the law. That is the law right there. Mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of Law and Order lately. <laughs> and given the week that we just had where there was just, what, one indictment for the Breonna Taylor case, it made me... For the drywall. It made me think about, you know, grand juries and stuff. And there is a quote that I remember being taught in, I think, civics class. I've heard it a bunch. I was surprised that this quote was from 1985 because I thought it was earlier. And that was that a judge said a grand jury could indict a ham sandwich because grand juries are the prosecutor goes in and there's no defense attorney present. There's none of that. They're just spouting their case to these people. And they're saying, like, this, this is the evidence that we have. And in this case, Brianna Taylor was the victim. So the attorney general should have been presenting evidence on behalf of Brianna Taylor. When you watch Law and Order, you have Jack McCoy. He's the district attorney. The victim who was killed, that is who he is representing. He goes to the grand jury. He is presenting all of his evidence to show the grand jury why they need to indict this person. 
if you're able to get a ham sandwich indicted, what was your evidence that you used? I want to show your work, show your math. When I take a test, I have to, sh and it was math, I had to write out the formula. I just couldn't put an answer in there. So if there are no indictments because of the law, because in Kentucky, they have two conflicting laws in place. You had Kenneth Walker, law-abiding citizen, never arrested, lawfully had a gun in Kentucky. Look up Kentucky's gun laws. They're wild. You don't need a permit to have concealed carry. You don't need a whole bunch of other things like, you know, you can you have the gun, you got the gun. He had it. It's legal. They have what's called a castle doctrine. That's basically a stand your ground. If anyone comes into your property or the property where you are, unless the exception is that there is a peace officer and they announce their presence. So I read because there's a, I highly, 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 because there's a lot of information out there. I'm, I don't fuck with Facebook. I don't fuck with social media. Go to the daily. They had a two-part podcast about the Breonna Taylor investigation. And this woman did all of her journalistic work. And she had to use, she even said she had to use every single bit of investigative journalistic technique that she had to get this information. And lay it out because there's a lot of stuff people say like, oh, they went to the wrong house. They didn't. I read the search warrant affidavit. Like I like go listen to that because when I listened to it, I was like, I, I wasn't surprised by what happened, but I do have questions. And here are my questions. The prosecutor is supposed to be presenting evidence on behalf of the victim. And in that case, it's Breonna Taylor. So what evidence was presented? Because the, 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 the cops, their defense attorney and their defense isn't supposed to be an issue. So the whole thing about like self-defense. All right. So you have that the Castle Doctrine and the whole thing of that is that they announced themselves but they got in the warrant it specifically says that they ask for a no-knock raid on brianna taylor's apartment and part of that in the affid the search warrant affidavit affidavit is requesting a no-knock entry to the premises due to the nature of how these drug traffickers operate these drug traffickers have a history of attempting to destroy evidence have cameras on location that compromise detectives once an approach to the dwelling is made and have a history of fleeing from law enforcement. That is part of their search warrant to go to Breonna Taylor's house. When they served it, they served it between midnight and 1230 in the morning. So the dead of night, they're knocking on it. Part of the reason why they say that the officers were not indicted for any wrongdoing is because they announced themselves. There have been statements and witnesses, at least 12, who have said that the police officers did not say that they were the police when they Don't came in. one person that says they did? They say yeah. that there's one person, so release that. Who is this one person, and why did they? These are cops. This also goes into the whole thing of that this is a district attorney, and district attorneys frequently have to work with cops. So it's law, but the law leans one way already. It's already leaning against Breonna Taylor towards mm -hmm. the cops to protect the cops. But this is the law, so they're allowed to do it. Secondly, 
This affidavit, the search warrant, the reason that Breonna Taylor's address is in there is because it says that suspicious packages were delivered to her residence and that they saw the ex-boyfriend Glover take those packages away. Well, there is a United States Postal Inspector, I believe his name is Tony Gooden, could be wrong, I'm not a fucking lawyer, look it up yourself, he says... Yes, he was contacted by a different law enforcement branch to investigate if suspicious packages were delivered there. They said no suspicious packages were delivered there. So who is your witness on the affidavit? The, the detective who put in the search warrant to get the, the search warrant signed was not one of the three cops that were there. Who is this guy? Because the guy that is the, the one, he was saying, no, there isn't, there isn't a reason to go into there. So did, was there a lie? Because this guy who put in for this search warrant, June, July, he was reassigned. What evidence was presented? Because Cameron, whose side are you on? Are you on Brianna Taylor's side presenting this evidence? What was? Show your work. Show your math. Then you have the one indictment that happens for the guy that was on the other side or wherever shooting wantonly into the apartment. If these, if they're saying, and none of his bullets killed Breonna Taylor, if none of your bullets killed Breonna Taylor, Kenneth Walker shot one, two at most fires because he didn't know who was entering because he didn't hear anybody say the police. You have another from another side, this guy shooting shots. How do the cops on the other side know that those shots that are being shot aren't from another cop? These are questions like, fine, you don't want to indict because you have it. Show your math, show your yeah. work, show me why. Because I have questions as to what side were you on? What side were you leaning towards? Because we all know that the law is lenient and we all know that we see the justice and it has the blindfold. But this week makes me know, think, reinforce justice may be peeking under that blindfold. So that was my MVP. Ooh, well done. I just, I have more questions because there's a lot of people who I know are listening to this and they, they see, well, they were cops, they announced it. And it's like, do you believe that they were cops and they announced it? Because from where I sit, my skin color makes me question. I don't know. <laughs> That's what the cops say. Who else but says also, it? My thing is, even if they were cops and announced it, a whole lot more went wrong after even if that was the case and i'm not saying it is even if that happened a whole lot more went wrong after the fact right and right. and you're supposed to be able to indict a ham sandwich look i'm i'm not dumb i was alive for rodney king i saw cops get acquitted for beating rodney king on video nothing to see here they didn't do anything wrong i saw the video seemed excessive to me but what do I know? So it's not even me saying like, oh, they like, oh, they're going to get arrested. They're going to. But no, your job in a grand jury is to present evidence. It would be Jack McCoy presenting you. And I'm just like, what evidence did you present? 
because it seems to me if there's a whole saying like you can get an, in, an indictment on a ham sandwich, you but I guess that doesn't apply to three white cops. So we are to recasting now. Yeah, but he's just saying like Brianna Taylor, show your work then. Show your work. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, I recast Hud, Alma, Lon, and Grandpa. That's what I did, too. I have to find it. My grandpa is National Treasure Delroy Lindo. Oh, yes, I got nervous. I was like, does she have my recast? My lawn, I had a hard time finding a teenage, um, you know, info on a teenage uh, black man. So I went with <laughs> Search Alex- history, teenage black man. <laughs> Alex Hibbert, he was the young guy at the end of Black Panther. Oh. My Alma mm-hmm. is Aisha Tyler. Oh, yeah. I like Aisha Tyler. She was like the <laughs> one black friend, wasn't she? Yes, yes. And she's on Archer. And Archer, yeah. Uh, and so, of course, I, you know, I went back to my... Paul Newman, Black Recasting, Michael B. Jordan. For Hood? Yeah. Yeah. Teeny, did you have a recasting? What do you think? No. <laughs> but I, I don't want to assume, so I have to ask. One of these days you are. It's going to hit you. Know. Okay. Okay, so my recasting for Homer, I went with, again, National Treasure, but a different National Treasure Denzel Washington. Okay. For my Lonnie, I went with Jesse T. Usher. He was the son of Shaft in the 2019 Shaft. Oh, that's a good one. I thought that was really good. For my Alma, I went with Gone with the Bush's favorite, Regina Hall. Regina Hall. Mm-hmm. I almost did as well. And then as HUD, I mean, this is a this was a layup. You got as the father, Denzel Washington, so HUD has to be John David Washington. Well, there you go. That would work. Mm-hmm. So that's my cast. Okay. Tasty Nuggets. Okay, that's on, that's on so, my phone. According to Melvin Douglas, he said that um, it, it wasn't um, like a real jovial... Um, ca- uh, cast a jovial work environment. He said Paul Newman was shy, almost to the point of being withdrawn. Patricia Neal was an internal person, and we mentioned that her seven-year-old daughter had just recently died. And um, the Lonnie guy was moody and sullen. Yeah, he's so like they, a, were just, and they were like, that's pretty like he no nothing against him, but he was pretty much just what his age is like yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Um, Patricia Neal only had 21 minutes and 51 seconds uh, in the movie, but she won Best Actress. Yeah. Yay. Paul Newman. Went, <clears throat> excuse me. Went and worked on a cattle ranch for a few weeks. He he lived with the ranchers and the, I mean the ranch hands. Ranch hands. 
why did we lose that? I don't know. Twice in this podcast. And, you know, ate with them, watched how they walked, um, watched how they handled the horses. He wanted to build real life calluses. And he he got some. Oh. Um, Patricia Neal and Paul Newman were poolside um, before the filming started, you know, just um, hanging out. Mm hmm. And she started talking about her daughter's death. Mm. And he listened to her. He looked at her. He said, tough, and walked away. Uh, that's, but she, that's what I would do. I would be like, tough, and then walk away and just be like, like, I'm already tearing up. I'd be like, you but, can't see but me But she soft. said she realized that he was channeling his role and that, that HUD, that's what HUD would do. It would be like... You can't, you know, you can't bring me down. It, I, that's a tough situation. Bye. Or, like, I'm Paul Newman. I can't be having puffy eyes about to go into this scene, lady. <laughs> well, he was going to have his own issues later. Um, George C. Scott was with Paul Newman in The Hustler, and he said that performance was nothing special. But he said Paul Newman's performance in HUD was superb. I guess so. I guess that was probably a thing because Paul Newman is so attractive that it was that thing of like, of you know he's the good looking. I mm-hmm. like I don't want to put this guy on the same pedestal, but I would imagine maybe like Robert Pattinson, how he was in Twilight and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know he's the the hot young thing, and then people are like, he's not great and like whatever and so and he's just off doing other things and he's like i'm really an actor i was cursed with this face yeah okay the thing about the women being attracted to hud um because my sister had a poster of hud on the inside of our closet door but I don't feel like it was HUD the women were attracted no, to. it's the pose it was that Paul he, Newman. Yeah. Because, uh, it, you know, him in his jeans and his undershirt. Yeah. What it, do you call that now? An A-frame? Yeah. A-frame. Is that an A-frame shirt? Uh, yeah. I mean, it had nothing to do with his role. It had to do with him in that T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's and, and it is that thing of, like, well he's playing this role like at the end of the day i don't have anything to back this up but i just am like yeah he didn't assault a woman i hope that nothing comes out that he did but nothing has so far so it's like yeah that was that was him being hud like hud's a dick i don't think that paul newman's a dick it just hud happens to look exactly like paul newman exactly well, the director saw some of the cinematography before they started shooting. Mm-hmm. And um, dude had done, you know, very flat, blank skies, no trees. And, and he was going, oh, man, we're going to have to superimpose some stuff on here or something. Cause, and then he got to Texas and he went, oh, nope, this is we're Texas. not doing that at all. This is Texas. Yeah, I've been to, to Texas and it is because i was yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry Matt just fell off the couch <laughs> why did you do that all right well mac is okay and like i was saying i've been to texas and before i went to texas um uh, i was warned it's the flattest thing you've ever seen 
And I'm like, well, I've, I've lived in Kansas and stuff. Like, and I'm like, yeah, oh, it's like Kansas without the uh, sunflowers and wheat. Yes. From what I could see. It's, yeah, you're like, oh, I see how tornadoes are a thing here. There's just, and especially me, like, I go outside and I see a mountain. It's, right. You're just like, oh, wow, the land, yeah, the land is flat. Okay, in the book, Alma is black. Yes, she's oh. Halme. H A L M E A, I think. Hmm. hmm. Yes. Yeah. Everything but the interiors of the house were filmed in Texas. Oh, the interiors were a set? Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Remember in Midnight Cowboy, Joe Buck had his poster? Yes. It was HUD, yeah. wasn't it? It was the HUD yeah. poster. Yeah, because he mm-hmm. does. He, he, I could see it. I remember in Long Hot Summer how he would have this thing, like his, like he would hook his thumbs into his back jean pocket. Yeah. And he had like the lean. But in this, it was even more so. It was a very Beyonce esque pose he is really doing a lot of hip action yes in this film of leaning and like yesterday i was like doing it in the mirror and i was like that hurts i can't i can't like that's not a comfortable pose for me and and that he makes it cool and i i can't think of who else would make it that cool looking because it's not really a cool pose but no, he pulls it not. off no it's not um, the Caddy was a 1958 Series 62. Do you know what color it was? I thought they said it was pink at one point. Pink, which yeah. I have a picture of me in a pink Cadillac. Yeah. When I'm a child. Wow. It's hanging on my fridge. Um, and, uh, okay, those were my tasty nuggets. You said the ones that I had. We probably looked in the exact same place. Probably. (laughs) All right. So my tasting nuggets. HUD was a minor character in the original screenplay because in the novel, it focuses on Lonnie. And so this got reworked. And like you said, Alma was the black housekeeper. But the director, Ritt, wanted a white actress because he said a black relationship wouldn't work. And quote, Neither American film nor American society was quite ready for that back then. And I was like, yeah, probably. And in the book, she is full on assaulted by HUD. There's no getting saved by Lonnie. Yeah, like in the book, HUD is completely just a villain and bad guy. Nothing redeemable about him. Um, So then in this film, like he is an anti-hero. And it was later described this film as a revisionist Western. And so from the mid 60s to the early 70s, there were revisionist Westerns. And those films questioned the ideals and style, the ideals and styles of the classic Western heroes. And villains often resembled, there was like this murkiness because in the classic Westerns, I'm, I'm going to put Shane in there. You know, it was black and white. Black hat, white hat. And then in these revisionist westerns, it was the moral gray. 
Mm-hmm. Of like, well, sometimes the heroes can be the villains and the villains can be the heroes. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards. So it was nominated for Best Director, Best Actor, Best Screenplay, and Best Art Direction, Black and White. It won three Academy Awards. Patricia Neal won for Best Actress, which to this day is still at 21 minutes, 51 seconds, the shortest amount of screen time any lead character has ever won an Oscar for. Best Actress. Yeah, for the lead, for Best Actress, yeah. Um, Melvin Douglas won Best Supporting Actor, and James Wong Howe won Best Black and White Cinematography. He chose to shoot it in black and white to, quote, elevate its dramatic propensities. He was talking about the scenery. Um, he made the white, the ground white and the skies clear, and that would give him leeway to play around with the dark shadows in between. Um, in the slaughter scene, the Humane Society was on hand for that. And there were bungee cords that were tied to the legs of the cows, so it made me kind of wonder if like, you know, like everything, probably I'm guessing the Humane Society standards have. I'm sure they've changed since. Yeah. So, 63, you better believe yeah. it. Um, And that scene really reminded me of the movie that we did the previous week, Psycho, because you don't ever see them get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. It's a lot with the editing and your mind filling it in. And it, I was so uncomfortable during like. And especially, I thought the the creepiest, most sinister thing was that the guys who were, I guess, from the government and dressed in the rain slicker attire, yes, and yes. you're in Texas and it's clear skies, and so it's like, oh, you're wearing that because of the blood that yeah. is gonna like come up from you from, and they and just them like shooting it, and then you're just like, is there not a more humane way? I know. And then it and then it did get me thinking like oh well what about gas and then i caught myself because i was Mm -hmm. like what am i saying oh my gosh no okay this look at me walking down problematic territory i don't know what is going on um newman and dewild had to exchange hotel rooms frequently because they were just followed by females (laughs) So they were just always having to, because yeah, th- look at you too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Paramount was really unhappy. And this is the second week where Paramount has been. Paramount the- seemed like a bunch of squares. Exactly. They said it was too dark. They didn't like the black and white photography. They didn't like that HUD's character didn't change and had no redeeming value. Ah. They wanted the ending to be changed because you know, in this end, it's just like I'm HUD, and he closes the door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then, so Norm, so Paul Newman and Rit were like, "No, we're not changing the ending. We're artists." And Rit flew to New York, and so then there he begged them, like, be, like believe in us. And then it, the movie really helped by that famous poster, the full body shot of Newman in blue jeans in a, quote, suggestive full-length pose, and the poster read, quote, Paul Newman is HUD, dot, 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 the man with a barbed wire soul. And... Ooh. Exactly! Ooh. Like, you're not... Take my money from me, please. 
Mm. Um, yeah, so like we already said, just to reiterate, through the character of HUD, Ritt and Newman had intended to show the corruption of modern capitalism and the pitfalls of admiring an individual blindly without observing his character. And this was released in the 60s. So Ritz said that the 60s counterculture, you know, they kind of saw, that's why the young people saw him as a hero because the 60s counterculture was going. And they kind of alluded to it, but I, it was one of the questions that I had given the time period of it. They allude to Paul Hudd going into the military, so he would have served in a war. Did he serve in Korea? Did he serve in World War II? Must have been Korea. And I like, I just think that that's an interesting because if you're watching it in 1963, depending on your age, your parents were either veterans of World War II, most likely, mm-hmm. and so you saw that or veterans of Korea, or you yourself served in Korea. And if you yourself served in Korea, I could see how you would say, well, yeah, why wouldn't I want to to get mine? And I just see that there's a direct correlation between the 60s counterculture youth seeing HUD and looking at him as a hero in what he's saying. Because I don't want to say that what he's saying is wrong, it's just that when you swing a pendulum so far over to one direction with everybody believing that, then that's when you kind of get into trouble. Um, I just see a direct correlation between the 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 80s and the yuppies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all of that. And it's like, oh man, okay. Like, and and it it's interesting to me because you know. If you make something, you put it out there, this is your intention. And then a whole bunch of people get a hold of it and what they how they interpret it, that's out of your hands, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's they're like, this is my hero, and just the horror that Rit and because you know, like we mentioned earlier, he had he wasn't a communist, but he did lean to the left. He did lean into these, you know, there were Marxist common ground things that he saw you know paul newman you know paul newman wasn't a conservative so Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to see and then this piece of art just as soon as it comes up it's just like and then like oh they did not take what we intended them to Mm -hmm. take and that's out of your control Mm -hmm. but if you if you if it lasts long enough it rebounds and it's like, no, I saw what y'all were trying to do. Yes, you were right. I get it. Well, that is HUD. Yes. And next week, Christine has something interesting in mind. Well, this is you guys choose. It's a choose your own adventure. So I have Two options, two roads you can take. Okay. Do you want to go to? I want to go there. I just think of Liz Lemon. I want to go there. (laughs) Let's see. 
1977 in South America. 1977 South America. <gasps> are there and you guys get to choose based off of that? Are there Nazis in 1977 South America? I'm not able to answer any of your questions. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I've seen the movies? No. Oh. All right, well, what do you think, man? Because I don't... Like, 1960s London, all right? Because that's, that's you know, after the World War, and I, I just think of Austin Powers and... Me too. But it's, like, it's kind of early, so... And then... But we haven't really done South America, 1977. I'm kind of leaning toward that, because when was the movie that we did in, in South America? Exactly, crickets. Yep. I think we should go to South America. All right, would you like me to read you the description? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're going to South America, the town of Porvenir. Porvenir. Four men on the run from the law are offered $10,000 in legal citizenship if they will transport a shipment of dangerously unstable nitroglycerin to an oil well 200 miles away. Oh, I, I don't know, but I love that I picked they it. They are set off on a hazardous journey where they must contend with rocky roads, unstable bridges, and attacks from local gorillas. Not the animal. No, yes. but yeah. So we... Uh, it's a bit over my time limit of two hour, one minute. Mm -hmm. but I mean, that's pretty close. Five minutes, two minutes. Um, the movie is called Sorcerer. Sorcerer? Never heard of it. How do you Director spell that? William Friedkin. William Friedkin is a well-known director. I'm good. Who knew? Mm -hmm. um, it's also... Part of Paramount Pictures, so maybe they'll get pissed off again. Or maybe they'll redeem themselves. Who knows? Um, yes, so it's, uh, yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. It was, it's supposed to be a thriller. I do love a thriller. I do. Uh, how did you come up with I am, I love how she's yeah, coming up with these. how she picks her oh movies. I mean, exactly how I came up with it. Do you want to hear my other option? I'll tell you my other option. Yeah. Okay. So I Googled, because I was like, watch, I'm getting to the end of this movie. And I was like, oh, shit, it's my turn. <laughs> Which happens, yes. And I was like, I can't just do the birds. That's, like, predictable at this point. We just did Alfred Hitchcock. Like, I'm not going to do it. But I said you could if you wanted to. I would not have been mad. Well, yeah, I know. But I, for me, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I Googled. Movies like Alfred Hitchcock or something. <laughs> Excellent. And it sent me to a, um, it sent me to something that was like 10, let's see my history here. Um, well, let me get past my how do adults get hand, foot, and mouth disease. <laughs> Um, oh, how the hell did I get there? How did I get there? You know, I the universe. It, how, many, how many pizzas to order for 14 adults? <laughs> um, 
And it was like, so, okay, 10 movies that were like, um, like Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And most of them were like from 2010. That's boring. Oh. But there was one on there. The only one you missed out on was Midnight Lace. Oh, well, circle that. This is the movie info. When the American wife of a wealthy London-based financier starts receiving (laughs) frightening phone calls, she believes her life is in danger. But when she protests her family following a near-fatal accident, they and the police doubt her claims and even her sanity. And that one was, it seems to be kind of like rear rear window. Oh. Um, um, But I'm glad you picked Sorcerer because I was much more excited about that one. Excellent. The movie cover seems to be a bus that is on a rickety bridge and about to fall into a river. All in. This is exciting. Yeah. I love that you pull these things out that we haven't heard of. It said there should be insane white knuckle tension. Oh! I love it. I don't know if it's available to watch anywhere. Oh, that it's could. Classic, oh. Well, wait a minute. Classic TV. The release date is August 5th, 2014. So it should be streaming somewhere. All right. Sorcerer. Uh, I can rent it on, on Amazon um, Prime. Oh, great. iTunes. I don't think I can rent it. I think I have to buy it. Okay. Yeah, so we can do it on Amazon Prime. It looks like Roy... Roy Strider's in it. Yeah. And Doris Day. (gasps) Doris Day? No, 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 I'm sorry. She's in Midnight Lace. Don't listen to that. Okay. Oh. I don't think there are any... There doesn't seem to be a lot of women in this one. Um, Anne-Marie Deschamps. I'm sure there's there's probably a smoking hot South American oh, no. woman. She's pretty smoking yeah. hot. Yeah. A lot of white guys who look the same. There's somebody named um, the cinematographer is named Dick Bush. Oh, oh Uncle, Uncle Dick. Dick. <laughs> it looks to be largely um, produced and acted out by old white men. Yes. Well, that's that is the Gone with the Bushes wheelhouse. When you when we're doing classic movies, that's kind of. So we'll see. Who knows what we're getting into next week? But that's what we do. This will be fun. This will be fun. All right. Okay, listeners. We hope you enjoyed our end of September Paul Newman. I, I just like that Teeny understands the the Paul Newman enigma. I do. And I did now that it's going to be October next time. I wanted to make sure we transition into something a little bit spooky. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. We'll, we'll, Good. we'll do some spookiness. Teeny is definitely going to up our spookiness of what yeah, we do. Yeah, I didn't want to pick anything too spooky for you. Thank you. You can. You can. You're you allowed can to pick there. whatever you so want. I, I will end the last week of Oh, she's already planning. Look, Look at that. At she is plotting. She, you know what? She's got something in mind. We're going to think that she's going to go Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but then she's going to hit us with Brian's song. And it's like, I don't, what would I have rather preferred? I don't know. Or, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Brian's song. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, listeners, 
See you next week. Bye bye.